doing out there folks this is your host with the most kenny vaughn i play for team breakline and i am here with the one and only ceo and founder of breakline education bethany Coles. kenny i just love meeting you in this place so excited to talk with you today about marco zapacosta from thumbtack Ooh, well would you mind giving the listeners a little bit of insight for those who might not be in the know Absolutely. Marco Zapacosta is the co-founder and CEO of Thumbtack. And in an industry where on average people move around every one and a half years, Marco has dug in with this company. He's been building Thumbtack for the last 12 years. And he describes it actually not just as one journey, as several different types of journeys inside of that decade plus of experience. But it was really, really fun to hear him talk about this business that's really about enabling homeowners to take care of their biggest investment. Mm. Can can I put a little sauce on what he's doing over there at at, at his company right now? Do it, Because they just raised, it was a $275 million Mm. at a a $3.2 billion valuation. Give him all the credit, Kenny. You got you got to be cooking some stuff up if you're bringing in those type of valuations. But you know, one of the parts of this conversation that I found very fascinating too, and I know a lot of us are managing and struggling through the evolving workplace environment. One of the things that Marco shared was he was actually a skeptic of the distributed or remote work environment. And one of the cool things about this conversation is just hearing his evolution on how they've been able to incorporate that into their day-to-day at Thumbtack Mm -hmm. and actually how it's really made the workplace a little bit more equitable. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of dynamics in the physical workspace that get sussed out in the virtual work environment. Mm -hmm. And I really think he provided some nuanced insights as to how they've been able to manage that at Thumbtack. This was an absolutely phenomenal ride that he's taking, he's getting ready to take our listeners on. And so if it's okay with you, I think we should just hop on in and let this man tell his story because it is a phenomenal one. Let's go, Kenny. All right, we will see y'all on the other side. Welcome, everyone. This is Bethany Coates, CEO of Breakline, and I'm joined here today by Marco Zappacosta. Marco is the co-founder and CEO of Thumbtack. Marco, thank you for joining us. Welcome to Breakline. Bethany, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me. We're delighted to have you, and we'd love to just shed a bit of light for our listeners today. Would love for you to start off by walking us through your career to date, telling us a little bit about yourself and the path that you've walked to get to this place. I'll admit I'm I'm almost a little embarrassed when that question comes up because my career really is Thumbtack. I started Thumbtack straight out of college in uh, mm. August of 2008. And so I feel like I've lived many careers inside mm. of our now sort of metaphorical four walls, but honestly bringing sort of like coming into it, I had almost nothing. You know, I'd done some internships in college and things like that, but nothing significant. And so I have learned all my lessons kind of like on the job, so to speak. I mean, it's amazing. You've been at Thumbtack 12 years. It's been 12 years since you started mm-hmm. it, but I'm sure over the course of that time, I mean, even in that 12 year span, you've led the company through multiple sort of macroeconomic crises. We're in one right now, for example, with COVID, the global pandemic. Has it felt like all one journey or have there been really distinct chapters? Uh, No, it has definitely felt like multiple journeys. And Mm. I'm thankful for that because I think it has made my job incredibly engaging. And something I really crave is sort of learning opportunities and, and in some sense sort of novelty, like trying new mm. things, doing new mm-hmm. things. And, you know, my job is just an exercise of trying to keep up. And so, you know, this is more true looking back than looking forwards, but I definitely think there were sort of various chapters. I actually would argue that mm. we've sort of embarked on a new one sort of this year. And in the beginning, you kind of have the the pre-product market fit stage, right? You have a dream, you have an idea, you you have customers that you've talked to, 
but you don't yet have something that is working for them or, or really delivering value for them. And that's hard. It's, and it's a very specific kind of hard to sort of wander the desert to try and find that, that fit, which is so elusive. Then I think we really hit our growth stride after finding product mm-hmm. market fit. It's often, you know, you can't really grow if you haven't found it. And so once it clicks, then you're kind of in scale mode. And that has its own set of challenges, particularly organizationally, because that's when the team gets a lot bigger. I think our third chapter is when we kind of had to sort of take two steps back to then start going forwards again to really retool the marketplace to set us up for sort of the next phase of growth and sort of where we are now. But that was like a a three-year effort. And so that that was hard and sort of uh, change management at scale, probably Mm -hmm. its own set of lessons and just sort of leading people through that. And then sort of now it's it's sort of uh, on the heels of that effort. really a a new beginning because mm. you know we took this big bet and it worked and now that gives us so many more capabilities and, and really the opportunity to dream bigger and so now it's sort of more about like innovating at scale and you know how do we do that and so yeah I can tell the story backwards but I certainly did not know it going forward so I would encourage people not to uh, be self-conscious about that because these things are only evident once you've done them. Mm-hmm. Reminds me a little bit of that adage, careers only make sense in hindsight. There's so many twists and turns. Well, Femtech is a modern home management platform. Will you Mm -hmm. talk to us as we get started with the conversation? Tell us more about that. What is it that you all are building and what's the problem that you're solving? Yeah, so we want to help homeowners take care of their biggest investment so they know what to do, when to do it, and really who to hire to get it done. And when you think about it, you know, when it comes to our cars, we have, you know, regular maintenance schedules, we have these check engine lights, and you know that like, you have to service the car to minimize the risk of something bad happening. Mm -hmm. Um, And yet, like, you don't have this with your home, despite your home being bigger and more complicated Mm -hmm. than your car. And you're like, complete, completely on your own. And so... Mm -hmm we want to solve that. And we really want to be the only app that you need uh, for everything in and around the home. And to really go from being kind of a a home weary uh, type of homeowner to a, mm-hmm. a really a house proud uh, homeowner, because like you're on top of your shit and you feel good about it. And so that's kind of what we are building towards. And, you know, it's been a long journey to get here. And, and the, the evolution over the last few years has been from going just from a place to hire, uh, which is really how we uh, focused ourselves and, and built up our capabilities over our first, call it, decade, to being uh, a service for the continuous care of your home, not just when you need to hire, but also when you're sort of uh, researching something or getting smart about it and really helping you more proactively than just reactively. Mm-hmm. I know it's so funny, Marco. I think Americans in general sometimes make huge bets without thinking through all the particularities that are mm-hmm. involved. It's true with home ownership. It's also true with education. Our education mm-hmm. in this country is extraordinarily expensive and we sometimes yep. just jump into it without thinking about it too much. But you all have, have been really thoughtful about your values. So when it comes to building this platform, one of Thumbtack's values is lead with why. And you say we serve our customers and pros before everything else. How did you arrive at that realization? Yeah, so, you know, I think values are uh, really the important thing uh, when when people talk about culture and why culture is so important at a company. I think often people mistake culture to be habits you know, Mm -hmm. ways that you bring your values to life. Maybe you eat together, you have a ping pong table or whatever, but habits change, especially as the Mm -hmm. company scales and, and, you know, its needs evolve, but values are the enduring bits. And so Mm -hmm. that's something we've really always uh, looked to and thought about, like we're very principle driven. And so early on, this was probably three or four years in, the specific need that catalyzed us defining our values was needing to scale interviewing where we wanted to be able to tell sort of our colleagues, Hey, here's what we want you to screen for from a, you know, values fit perspective, not simply a technical fit, like, can they do the job, but are they the type of human that we think 
you know, would work well here and, and be sort of additive. And that exercise, I'd argue, was less aspirational and more really just trying to reflect on what made us not like special or better, but just us, right? Like what mm. were the defining features of us? And having never written them down before, mm. we were simply trying to capture, you know, the essence of who we were. And that lasted us for a long time, I think five or six years until the organization got a lot bigger. And at that point we realized we needed to sort of evolve our values to be not simply reflective of who we are or who we were, but also who we wanted to be so mm. that they could be aspirational, inspiring, and get us to be an even better version of ourselves. And so the values that you see today are, you know, our values 2.0. And mm -hmm. they came from this effort of really looking inward and sort of saying, how can we be the best version of ourselves? Like, what are the values and behaviors that we want to be known for and attract people for and, and promote people for and reward people for? Uh, and to do that, you got to write them down. Mm-hmm when you announced Thumbtack's values, the, the version I'm looking at, you announced in February of 2020. Yeah. And then <laughs> a month later, you know, COVID yeah. came at us like a speeding freight train. Has anything yep. changed with your values or, or how you think about articulating them and, and communicating them with your community and the pros and homeowners and, and also your employees? Uh, well, yes and no. Uh, no in the sense that the values are the exact same. And if anything, mm. the the hard times that COVID imposed on us and the world were really a moment where I think our values shined and proved to me and to us their importance and likely reaffirmed them. So that, uh, in, in a sense, sort of like only made us a, a stronger version of what was there. The part that it, it radically changed, though, is that we then became a virtual company mm -hmm. in the sense of we no longer had a physical office. And so these habits that we'd imagined that, you know, we were in norms about how we did our jobs and, and worked as a company all got blown up. Mm -hmm. And the exciting part is, and this is sort of a COVID silver lining, like we never would have taken that step were it not mm -hmm. forced upon us. We were both too big, also I was personally very skeptical in remote work, uh, not like for everybody, but for me and for Thumbtack, I, you know, we had a very office centric culture. And so mm -hmm. I didn't think that should change. Uh, but then being forced to change and realizing, wow, there's a lot of this that is just fundamentally better than office centric work. And we have to adapt to it because otherwise we're not being the best version of ourselves. Um, what that has done is and just sort of like opening that question and then answering it in a way that is sort of totally new, it gives us license to now uh, think about these values in an even broader way, uh, which is sort of like in how we work, because mm -hmm. that wasn't on the table before. We weren't, we, we weren't going to consider changing how we work, uh, but now we have to, and we did, and I'm excited about that, and I think it really dovetails nicely. So uh, mm. I the short answer is that it was a detour. Obviously, the, the values work got totally blown up. There was a lot of things that we were going to do that just because of COVID didn't happen or just have not yet happened. But now it's actually given us the opportunity to go sort of even deeper in this uh, direction than I probably ever thought possible. So that's pretty mm -hmm. exciting. Yeah. Your your colleague, the head of people, posted about mm -hmm. this realization that, that and, and the determination that you all would be virtual first. And yeah. I think she did that in at the end of March of this year, 2021. Mm -hmm. And she said that you all have pieced together a brighter, more equitable and more successful future after achieving the best business performance we've ever seen. Yeah. And, and I think it's I, I, like, I love that you said you were skeptical, you know, because it's, it points to the fact that you have a growth mindset and that you're okay with being wrong, being proven wrong. Yeah. Skeptical is probably even generous to me. Yeah. I, I was downright. So someone would say to me, Hey, I'm more, I'm more productive at home. Like I'm going to like work from home. And like, I honestly didn't believe them basically. Yeah. Uh, I didn't think that was 
broadly true and I thought they were solving for something else. Um, mm-hmm. So I skeptical is uh, generous. And, and what changed your mind? Like, when did you realize, ooh, I, <laughs> I, I'm going to walk that one back? Um, it took a while. I mean, it did not happen right away. But I think in the, the sort of three domains that we really called out in, in our writing on this, I was really struck. So first off, I think virtual work is more effective, like mm. per unit time worked more is getting done. And part of it is being alone and therefore not having distractions, like especially open offices are just naturally distracting places. And Mm -hmm. two, and I think more importantly and fundamentally, remote work forces you to be more explicit because you can't count on bumping into people in the hallways and sort of mentioning it when you see them. And being explicit means that you have to be deliberate and considered and thoughtful and and it just makes you better because there is like if you don't do it it doesn't happen and that Mm -hmm. is i think a really powerful sort of meta aspect of virtual work so that came through very quickly and at first people were like oh it's the intensity of covid people obviously were you know worried for themselves for their families for their jobs all sorts of stuff and and we all sort of poured ourselves into our work but this is sustained, you know, since that original sort of crush and continues to be highlighted. So uh, sort of efficacy. Uh, the second one is flexibility and through that access to talent and sort of a way to engage that talent that would otherwise be impossible. And there are the obvious sort of lessons for, you know, hiring somebody who wasn't in place where we had an office. But for me personally, what really drove this home was like, I was a better dad and better Mm -hmm. husband. And, you know, for a long time, I really thought those things were sort of just like fundamentally in conflict. Like there's only so many hours in the day, it's hard to do both fully. Therefore, you're always going to make compromises and sacrifices. Like, you know, maybe over the years or decades, you, you sort of choose one or the other, but in any given moment, hard to do both really well. Right. And I think a lot of hardworking parents feel that. And what I came to appreciate was working remotely and having that flexibility enabled me to be more helpful at home, even if it didn't actually change the total hours that I was mm-hmm. home. I mean, yes, of course, COVID forced that upon us. But now when I sort of think about my schedule, my hours work, I can still pour myself into my work. But because of not having a commute, having fewer uh, in-person things come up late in the day, uh, that keep me at the office through bedtime or dinner time. I'm more disciplined on my schedule, and through that, sort of do more of the things that I want to do without compromising. And that is, I think, enormous. And you know, accessing more talent is probably the main limiting factor of growing our business. And so, if we can access more talent because we have a more flexible way of working, and through that, can engage more people, then that is a huge uh, boost to us. And what really highlights that these days is already like two quarters after announcing this now 60% of hires are outside of where we had an office. Mm-hmm. So it, it like it happened and there's no going back. Um, and that is really exciting. And then lastly, and I think least intuitively to me and maybe most powerful of all is that I think virtual work is more equitable. And I mean that in terms of like, the fairness by which sort of people are, are, are the, the, the consistency with which people are able to show up and contribute and fully participate in the business is more equitable than ever before. And I think people forget that like real world environments have a lot of embedded sort of like power dynamics to them. Like who has the big office? Who's near the boss or far from the boss, who's on the main nice floor versus the basement level, who's in HQ versus this other office. And weirdly, despite us never being as big as we are now, Thumbtack has never felt sort of more one as a company because there aren't these silos. Like we are all just the same size box on Zoom. And another place that you see that is in sort of a Zoom conversation, there's no side chatter. It's like a Jeffersonian, right? It's a single threaded conversation that, again, I think is more equitable. Uh, folks who 
don't want to interject or talk over can raise their hand and and it's um i thought brought brought more voices into the fray uh, than ever before so that sort of equitability i think really highlighted to me that this isn't just like more efficient or more flexible and just a little bit better it's like no this is fundamentally different and better and through that we got to kind of jump in with two feet even if it's uncomfortable and kind of forces us to reevaluate a lot of things that we hadn't planned on reevaluating. Mm-hmm. I love that story. And when you were talking about the fact that it's more equitable, it reminded me of the fact that you and your colleague, Deanna Smith, established an executive diversity council and you co-chair mm-hmm. it. And you all have done a ton of work to support the communities that Thumbtack serves and to support support the pros and the employees as well. Do you want to talk about some of some of those initiatives and and how you all think about really showing up as as a powerful force for good when it comes to diversity in our in our businesses, diversity in our communities, diversity in our homes? Sure. And, you know, I I will share more just our journey rather than any answers that we have, because I think Mm -hmm. that is that is just where we are. But I think something that Diana really brought and I think was uh, incredible from the start and, and also important that it's continued is just the idea that, like, we can have courageous conversations at work and that it can be a place to engage in things that are hard and personal Mm -hmm. and obviously not work-related, and mm-hmm. that done right, work can be a place that really expands your empathy uh, mm-hmm. for our broader community that maybe you didn't know or sort of didn't inter- interact with. And like, you know, I think a lot of that came in the wake of sort of George Floyd's murder and, and the conversation around race and racism. But what I've loved is that it's continued. And even now, you know, our most recent one uh, was led by some leaders that we have in the Philippines. So we have an office in Manila and they talked about sort of what does inclusion mean uh, from a global perspective? You know, how do we reckon with that idea? How do they think about inclusion in their own community where really everybody's Filipino? So there's not this question of sort of multi-ethnic, uh, but there's still real questions about inclusivity and, and sort of how they're wrestling with that. So just continuing to hear new perspectives and just engage, I think has been, you know, one key learning, which is like, you can't avoid it. You got to just get in and do the work. And and simply in that conversation, there is opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. Secondly, and this is like more tactical and just sort of obvious, but just assigning responsibility. You know, we have uh, DEI sort of embedded across Thumbtack such that each team has directly responsible individuals for a set of sort of goals and and action items. And these vary because teams have different capabilities and and sort of work different parts of the business, but just like writing them down, uh, having a goal, having an owner for that goal um, gets a lot more done than you were doing before. And so hiring great leaders, engaging the conversation, and then sort of committing to do the work by putting it on your to-do list is sort of how we've approached it. And, you know, I think, again, we're, we're walking the path. We don't have answers or solutions, but, you know, it feels good that we have continued to be engaged sort of beyond sort of the acute moment of, of discussion last year, last summer. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that, Marco. And I mm-hmm. wanted to go back to the the four stages that you described with regard to building Thumbtack. And mm-hmm. while you while you were sharing that version of, of the different chapters in the company's history, I was thinking about something that Nima Gamsari, the CEO of Blend, did. Right before Blend went public, he posted a picture. It was like a grainy shot. I think he was lying on the floor with like one or two other teammates in like some messy, tiny office. And he said, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm sort of nostalgic for those early days. Did you, you know, as you look back, is there poignancy to to those different Mm -hmm. chapters that you described? Is there some nostalgia there? Are you really just forward looking? The past was the past and it's all about what's around the corner. Yeah, I think I'm naturally that way, the latter. You know, I, I really just 
I don't hold grudges. I don't like reminisce. I don't, I like, uh, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm either in the present or looking forward just sort of naturally. I will say though, I, there are parts of it that I miss and, you know, the like intensity of the experience makes for these bonds and these sort of, you know, just like, I'm sure sort of like a professional sport team or you're going to war in an extreme sense, like they're forging moments. And so it's incredibly close and intimate in a way that a 900 person company just is not going to be. And you miss some of that. On the flip side, the thing that I love about where we are now and, and looking forward is, you know, the impact that we can have has never been bigger. And mm. uh, as much as I love like the craft of company building and product building, I'm in it more for the impact than I am for the, the you know, the work of it. And so being able to have more impact is very motivating to me and makes sort of the current things we deal with sort of like tolerable because like, yeah, sure. Annual planning is, is never, I think, what founders got into their business to spend their time thinking about. And it's certainly not what I uh, started Thumbtack to sort of think about and work on. But when you realize, wow, uh, this is the process by which I can hopefully inspire and align hundreds of people to do great work in service of our customers and pros and ultimately grow the business, then like, damn, I, I'm excited to go think hard about that and, and make it great uh, because that can have a big impact. So I guess I think this is just sort of depends on who you talk to, but I, uh, not, not too nostalgic as a human. Mm-hmm. And I actually, I, I, I joke with people all the time that I'm like, I'm pretty sure we're going to look back on and these are going to be the good old days. And I've yeah. been saying that for, <laughs> for a long time now. So maybe that's more about me than, than, than my ability to assess that. But I think there's something to sort of love about all these moments. So uh, it yeah. changes, certainly, but they're great. I love that perspective. My mom says the best years in life are ongoing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I love that so much, you know, that there's no reason to be nostalgic because it always just keeps improving, you know, as you, as you continue moving forward. And you talked about sort of arriving in a new place for being able to drive even bigger impact. And part of this is, is fueled by the fact that you all just raised $275 million on a $3.2 billion valuation Holy cow, that, those are big numbers. What does it feel like to, you know, to have the resources to go after this vision in, in a really big way? It's a lot of feelings. I will say I mainly try to not think about it in those terms too often because uh-huh. it either makes you think that you're too good or not good enough. And mm. either one of those is probably not what you should be thinking. But I feel just... Uh, um, very indebted. And I mean, obviously we've raised this money to, to turn it into more money on behalf of the investors. But actually, I don't mean that in terms of sort of my financial responsibility, though that is important to me. It's more that like I've been and, and we have raised this money in service of a dream that I think the world deserves. Mm. And there ought to be a better way to find and hire great pros, to be a more empowered homeowner. And on the flip side, there ought to be an easier way to turn your time and talent into a thriving business. And Mm -hmm. if we do our jobs right, like that'll be true. And if we fail to, you know, utilize these resources or our time well, then we will let these people down. And so I'm, I, uh, that's sort of my, 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 my calling, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sort of like, I feel the responsibility of not wanting to miss the opportunity to make something better that I don't otherwise seem getting as better as it should be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think that your perspective is really important here. You were quoted at a conference sort of pushing back on some assumptions that you know, companies should be VC backed, that they should go public within 10 years, that there's sort of a, a playbook that every company can follow to achieve success. And you were kind of saying it just doesn't unfold that way. And yeah. I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about that. The fact that 
there are more twists and turns. There's more ambiguity than than we might want to tell ourselves when it comes to building mm -hmm. businesses that can change the world. Yeah. I mean, so uh, my first reaction is that I think I have a broader sense of what entrepreneurship is than most tech founders who I think are very mm -hmm. narrowly focused on VC backed sort of tech entrepreneurship, which I love mm -hmm. and think makes the world better and am a ardent booster of, but that's actually the minority of companies that are started uh -huh. in this country. Much more common is like pros on our platform who mm -hmm. are plumbers and tutors and caterers and roofers and you know folks who have uh, a skill and a craft and a trade and are building a business around that. And that is sort of, I think, really important because uh, most of all, we need to make that entrepreneurship successful or mm. we need both. And I worry that our current uh, language is too narrow. Mm -hmm. And then when you think about these entrepreneurs on our platform, you know, I, I, I mentioned this because I know your audience that you are sort of oriented around veterans and underrepresented minorities, but 10% of our pros are veterans on Thumbtack, which mm -hmm. is you know significantly above the baseline sort of population rate. And mm -hmm. to me, it's something that's awesome because uh, you know, these are folks who've had a great career, then look, in, look to transition that, and they feel very empowered, right? They, they feel like they have skills, they have discipline, they, they have sort of know-how. What they often don't have is online marketing experience mm -hmm. or you know uh, how to best set up a online presence to convert the customers that are finding you on the internet. Like, and in many ways that shouldn't matter for being a great mm -hmm. pro. So it feels really good helping those folks achieve their dreams, which aren't sort of financial in nature. They're more security or satisfaction. Obviously there's a financial component, just earning a great wage, but it's not about the return on capital uh, like it is maybe in tech. So that's sort of point one. Uh, and then point two is, and this is more narrowly about tech and entrepreneurship and tech. I think there's this myth of the tech entrepreneur as an inventor. And I think the more appropriate metaphor or description is as a discoverer. And the reality is like these things are out there and we're all kind of poking around in the dark, trying to figure out a new recipe to, you know, make something better, make something easier, make something faster. Um, and I think if we thought of it in terms of discovery, we would A, place less emphasis on the the people. And I think there's like, like in football, we talk too much about quarterbacks. There's too much talk about founders. And at the same time, there's not enough on sort of the ideas or how best we can go find more of these or make sure that they're impactful and sort of broadly so. So that's sort of my, my philosophical musings. I'm not sure if that's what you had heard about, but that's, that's my reaction to the idea of entrepreneurship and sort of Silicon Valley. Yeah, no, and I appreciated that. And I was thinking about your pros being able to make a living off of Thumbtack, you know, cause you mm -hmm. all, you're, I mean, you're solving problems on both sides of a marketplace but to enable them to reach new customers and to do it in a scalable way and to really focus in on the aspects of the work that they, where they bring the most value and where they bring the expertise versus the stuff around the edges that just makes it possible, you know, the marketing, yeah. et cetera. It's just so, it's so, it's such a great feeling to be able to empower other people to pursue their dreams. It feels really good. And mm -hmm. best of all, when they, they call you and say thank you. And, you know, the, the reality is that, like, it's a team sport. We help them. We obviously cannot in any way do what they do. But mm -hmm. we bring something to the table that they often don't have. And, and through us, see that they don't need to worry about nearly as much. And so, you know, in our future ambition, you know, we aspire to a world where if you have time and talent, you can start and run a successful business like mm -hmm. not everyone is interested in it but if you have a great customer relevant talent then you should be able to monetize that and make a living doing that um mm -hmm. so long way to go to make that true but i'm proud of the progress we've made so far
Mm-hmm. So we recently interviewed Stacy Brown Philpot, who is the former mm-hmm. CEO of TaskRabbit. And yeah. she she talked about using TaskRabbit herself as a customer, mm-hmm. in addition to obviously running the company and getting such great insights into into their taskers. Did mm-hmm. ha, do you do that as well with Thumbtack? Yeah. I mean, I there's you cannot use your own product too much. I was chatting with a pro earlier today who's coming over on Thursday morning for a job that I have around the house, an IT job that's sort of above my pay grade. And so, yeah, basically any and all excuse. My, my wife have a motto, pros, they're better than you. So we, um, <laughs> we, we try to remember that when something comes up, uh, it's, it's an excuse to use Thumbtack, not to try and you know, be DIY or anything over here. So yeah, I think Stacy's exactly right. It's hard to, you can't intuit your way through these things. Like you need to get feedback and you need mm-hmm. to experience and, and talk to folks. You know, I always struggle with at what point do I tell them that I work with Thumbtack and then sort of what do I do there? And because I want the unvarnished truth, but mm-hmm. I also don't want them to feel put out uh, by maybe not knowing that. Um, so uh, that is, that is, my balancing act. Is there is there an insight about Thumbtack that you remember hearing from one of the pros, like a great idea mm-hmm. about leading the company? Is there an anecdote there? It's less about leading the company and more about mm. what really mattered to them. And, mm. you know, I think tech in general, and certainly Thumbtack is a very analytical approach. You know, we we look at a lot of data, we run experiments, we have a lot of intuition and creativity, but ultimately, like, you and I don't get to decide what's right, our customers do, and we assess that by testing things. And I think that can, it's incredibly powerful, but there are places in which it sort of leads you astray. And that's when you sort of remember and realize that, like, humans aren't rational. And mm-hmm. what they feel and care about isn't something that's always going to come out of the numbers, but really going to come out of conversations with them. And mm-hmm. I remember talking to this pro, he, he had he built shelves for me uh, in a couple of storage rooms, was an amazing pro, did great work. And he had built his whole business. He's a handyman and a carpenter. He was mm-hmm. earning more than six figures a year, 100% from Thumbtack and, and repeat mm-hmm. Thumbtack clients. He loved us, loved us, loved us. And I asked him, about sort of what could be made better. And he got surprisingly worked up about times when he would pay to respond to a customer and sort of uh, like never hear back and feel like he never had a shot. And I had to be like, hey, wait, but you talked me through your P&L Clearly, the money you're investing is is at great return and, and, and accomplishing all your financial objectives. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys could charge me more money. What I hate about this is it feels like a lack of partnership. Mm. And through everything that you do, you I really feel like we're partners in this. But this is a time where like, I stick my neck out and through no fault of my own, I have to bear the cost. And, you know, it's a simple thing, but it really yeah. highlights like, you know, we're just like, emotional sacks of meat and mm. uh, the numbers alone don't tell you how people are going to react and, and the importance that they place on things. And I think that kind of intuition, it's hard to get. And it helps us to change some of our product strategy. And I think mm-hmm. hopefully that pro thinks that uh, given what we've done, we are now even better partners to him mm-hmm. and his business. Did he know at the time that you were the CEO? Yeah. Yeah. At that point he knew. He did. Uh, oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Emotional sacks of meat. I've never heard that phrase before. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> but the whole point of having deep empathy for your customer, you know, and really knowing that the answer lies with your customer, I think is such a such an important insight for entrepreneurs. Yeah. I, and it's a balancing act because I think that does get taken too far, which is mm-hmm. I go ask my customer what they want. And then I use that to sort of define my list. And mm-hmm. that I don't think is the answer either. And really it's it's about understanding them at a, an even deeper level. Like mm-hmm. what's the job to be done here? What is the best outcome for them? What is the emotion that they're bearing that they want us to, to help with or, or 
ideally we can absolve them of. So I think it is critical, but there's a lot of creativity left for, you know, builders to interpret those things to come up with the best possible answer. Like ultimately that's what we get paid for. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Marco, so earlier in the, in the conversation, you sort of obliquely mentioned forging experiences and I wrote mm -hmm. it down. I wanted to come back to it because that is such a part of starting and building a company and, and growing a company through various stages. And it reminded me a bit of something that Jay Kreps, the CEO of Confluent, said when he came to the Breakline Arena. He said, he said something like, if you start a company because you think it's glamorous, <laughs> like that is a surefire way to fail. You know, you got to yep. be in it because you're so passionate about solving this particular problem. You can't let it go. And it's that passion and commitment and drive and grit that gets you through the, the hardest periods, mm -hmm. which will inevitably come. Will yep. you talk to us? Is there, you know, one or more forging experiences as you, as you look back on what you and your team have built at Thumbtack that, you know, really feel formative to you at this point? Yeah. I mean, I think there's been a handful over the years. Uh, you know, I think the two most recent ones were this transition, this sort of marketplace evolution uh, that we mm. went through over the last three years, not like an acute moment, but an incredibly defining period for the business. And then sort of like, in contrast to that COVID, uh, which was mm. an incredibly acute sort of moment of crisis. Um, and both of those, I think, have, have really sort of like shaped who we are in this moment. They're, you know, they're, they're not founding moments, but they are forging moments. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think about this transition, uh, Thumbtack historically was a request for quote platform. So a digital bulletin board, you posted what you needed. We send that out to our pros who would then pay Thumbtack to send you a quote for that job. And the magic of this was that you as a customer, as a homeowner, didn't have to do the work of calling down a list of names and numbers. They came to you and they only came to you when they were available and interested and qualified. So all of this uh, was better than anything else that was out there. But the reality was it wasn't instantaneous. And it was also sort of not super reliable because we had a search engine that was powered by human beings who sometimes were on ladders or under houses or tired or busy. So didn't always get back to you as quickly as you wanted. And so we were forced with the decision of saying, hey, do we accept this and forever limit the ceiling of the business because we will never be as instantaneous or as reliable as we know homeowners would want? Or do we find a way out and innovate our way out of this? And, you know, we chose the latter. We chose the latter not because we knew how to fix it. Uh, we had a sort of dream and a hunch, but more that because we had to fix it to get to where we wanted to go. And I think, you know, through these moments, the company proves to itself, like what it's willing to do in service of delivering, you know, for its customers and pros. And this, you know, proved to me and proved to us, you know, just how far, uh, and then learned a lot of lessons about change management and all that good stuff through it all, but incredibly important to who we are. And then secondly, COVID, and, you know, we had to do a huge layoff. April 1st of last year was awful. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those moments where people either gain or lose trust. You're not going to come out the same. And, you know, here's here was a moment where nobody blamed us for COVID, right? But they certainly were going to blame us with how we reacted and what we said and did uh, about it all. And, you know, I think this was a moment where we acted in accordance to our values. It was hard. It was awful. It was certainly not perfect. And I would do things different and better if I had uh, a do-over but I think throughout it, people gained confidence that they knew who we were and what we stood for, mm -hmm. even in these hard moments. And I think it made our culture stronger uh, or, or, or the sort of values alignment uh, tighter, which is you know, remarkable and I'm thankful for. I, I, I don't wanna do it again or live it again. So I'm not gonna mm -hmm. say it was necessarily worth it, but there were good things that came out of it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You can sort of honor those those hard moments by internalizing the learnings that come along with them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. 
You've mentioned change management a couple of times in, in our conversation today and how much you learned about it. Anything top of mind that you'd want to share there for folks coming along behind you? I think humans don't like uncertainty, right? We crave certainty. And uh, that's what makes change so hard is that it creates uncertainty for folks. And so I think the question becomes, you know, how do you create some structure, some way for people to have sort of guideposts along a path that is uncertain by definition and certainly unknown. And when you're building something new, when you're going sort of zero to one, it's very, very hard to say, this is what's going to happen. And this is this is the timeline upon which it's going to happen. You, you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. And you have to just sort of commit and then go figure it out. And so I think the the big things that I learned were A, just how sensitive people are to uncertainty. And I think as a founder, I was not appreciative that I'm not normal in that regard and how much uncertainty I'm willing to tolerate personally. And, and then through that, how do you speak to moments that are fundamentally uncertain? And well, you think about, okay, well, what are the stages of us getting through this? And how are we going to know if we're successful or not at each stage and what's going to be true when we go from one stage to the next. And, you know, for this transition, we had the, you know, test, iterate, scale kind of like mentality where let's validate this sort of very narrowly. Let's prove it to ourselves that it'll work. Let's really sort of improve on it to make it not simply viable, but as good or better than what we have. And then once we've got sort of the unit, the core of it, how do we scale it out to all of our sort of categories and pros and, you know, you start to hear that. And even though you're not any further along, you say, okay, I'm in step one. And step one is about testing and testing is going to be done in this, in this area and in, in to this end in terms of success metrics. And okay, now I have like my bearings and there's still uncertainty, but some of that you can't take away, but at least I kind of like can orient myself. And so just recognizing the importance of that figuring out ways to do that, which are really like narratives and frameworks and measures of success and yeah, communicating and, and aligning on it. I think that's the, probably the other thing that I learned a lot through these moments of change is that it changes who's excited about that moment and who's best suited for that moment. And you have to be honest with that and sort of confront it and, you know, would be best served by really directly dealing with folks who are either uninspired, unexcited, unconvinced by the new direction sort of instantly rather than taking a more, maybe I think typical founder mentality, which is like, oh, you just give me enough chance to talk to these people and I'll convince them all. And yeah, just the, the power of being aligned. Uh, mm-hmm. And then maybe that you have to slaughter some sacred cows. Um, mm. What makes these these changes hard is because you're you're going back on some heresy. So in our case, for example, when we were this request for quote platform, we love to say we're not just a dumb list. Like look at Google, look at Yelp, look at Angie's. They're just a dumb list. Who wants names and numbers and information? We get you to done. And now here we were building this sort of new system, which on the surface looked like a dumb list. Now it was a very smart list that was more like Airbnb or Amazon or a marketplace than it was a directory. But at first pass, you have people say, hey, wait, weren't we fighting the dumb list? Like, aren't we joining their ranks now? And it's the type of thing where you created this sort of narrative shortcut in the past for good reason. It was useful and true. But now the new story either contradicts or doesn't fit cleanly with it. And you have people who are hanging on to this old story. And you really have to like very publicly and explicitly slaughter these sacred cows uh, such that you remove their sort of like anchor uh, from the mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, that reminds me of a story that Ashley Still, who's a senior executive at Adobe, tells about um, when Adobe shifted to a subscription payment model and she calls mm-hmm. it burning, burning the boats, you know, yeah. and you got to be yeah. willing to just like, burn them and set sail in, in a new vessel. But it's hard totally. to make that leap. Super hard. And you built those boats or, or fatted those cows for good reason. They were useful mm-hmm. and, and people bought into them and they were 
motivating and now you have to do an about face very very hard Mm -hmm. yeah i can imagine their transition being very tricky internally too Mm -hmm. well marco we're coming up on time and in the last couple minutes that we have you know you and your team have have gone through these twists and turns ups and downs you've learned so much about how to build this company you're now at this really wonderful inflection point but it took a lot of blood sweat and tears to get here i would love for you to share something you wish you had known earlier in your career that you know now i mean this is like trite and I'm sure you were hoping for a better answer, but you know, the power of focus is really mm. something that I, I just keep marveling at and learning. And that comes in, in a bunch of different ways, just you know, how clearly you understand your customer and the market such that you're building towards an incredibly sort of sharp point of view on how best to serve them. And you know, I think Often when I look back in the moments that we sort of felt like we were going slow, it's not because we were building slowly or or we like stopped working hard. It's that we didn't have clear enough focus so that the output wasn't sort of really pushing on what mattered and so didn't make as much progress as we wanted to. So I think just that focus and the energy that comes from like alignment and a vision of norms, of values, of ambition, really any domain, the more aligned and the more focused, the better everything goes. And I feel like I keep learning that lesson. Marco Zappacosta, thank you so much for joining us. What a treat to spend the last hour with you. Bethany, thanks for having me. This was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for joining us for another episode in the Breakline Arena. We hope that you're walking away feeling a little inspired, a little bit moved, and feeling as if you learned something. I tell you what, if you enjoy what you heard today, we only need you to do one of three things. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe, and if it really touched your spirit, go on review and rate this episode. It would mean a lot to us. It helps us get the word out there. It helps us continue to share this great content. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, we just love to hear what, you, what you'd have to say about some of the content that we're putting out there. So please join us again here in the Breakline Arena. Once again, my name is Kenny Vaughn, and I am signing out from the Breakline HQ with my partner in crime. Sophia Bodwin, we will see you next week. <laughs>